Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jonathan Van Maren. Welcome to The Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Some of you will know from reading my blog that I was just in Ireland for 10 days. I was in Ireland for the long-delayed book tour for my 2020 book, Patriots, The Untold Story of Ireland's Pro-Life Movement. And I got to meet up with a bunch of phenomenal Irish pro-lifers. We did a tour across the country. We started in Dublin at the Savoy, where there was a screening of Tim Jackson's brilliant documentary called Ireland's Downfall, a phenomenal documentary that analyzes exactly how the Irish people were deceived, but also how the pro-life movement was suppressed. And then at each stop, I gave a speech. Nivu Brain, who we're going to be speaking with here shortly, of Life Institute, gave a speech. Megan Scallon, also of Life Institute, working to build a youth movement post-referendum, was also part of it. Ben Scallon, of the Irish conservative media outlet Gript, which was founded to provide an alternative after the Eighth Amendment. It really was quite incredible because at each stop, there was local pro-lifers representing different organizations who were coming out to share their message. So there was people from Gianna Care, which seeks to walk with women to provide alternatives to abortion. There was Vicki Wall of Every Life Counts, who helps mothers who receive a sad diagnosis for their pre-born children walk through that whole experience every step of the way that they are needed. Vicki Wall and her people are there. Mickey Hart, who's a senior football manager, I myself. I'm not a sports guy and was not even aware of what sort of football it was, but he was there too. And Donnie Gall gave a very powerful speech on abortion and why abortion needs to always be opposed and why these babies are entitled to our protection. A very profound speech. A couple of the TDs, which are Irish parliamentarians, came out to talk about how they are standing strong and defiant in the Irish parliament against these things. It was just a really, really encouraging tour to get together after a couple of years. We went to Dublin, to Cork, to Donegal and Mayo. Hundreds of people came out for the presentations. A lot of books were sold, which was really, really encouraging. And just getting to meet with everybody again was really encouraging. For me, I spent a long time, of course, researching the Irish pro-life movement and writing about these various leaders. And I got to meet people I'd written about and interviewed, but had never met on this tour, which was very, very exciting for me. And so to kind of talk about where things are in Ireland, a bit about the tour and how that went and how people can get involved if they're interested, I wanted to talk to my friend Neve again. Some of you will have heard her on the podcast before talking about the Eighth Amendment. She's both interviewed for the documentary Ireland's Fall. I also discuss her story a bit in my book Patriots. And so here is another conversation with Neve. So just to start off, Neve, for our listeners, you've been on this podcast before and people will have read about your work with the Life Institute, but most people will not be aware of the new campaign that has been launched this year across Ireland, the Billboard campaign. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. I suppose one of the things that, you know, is really important for the pro-life movement is to hold the abortion law of our country, in this case of of Ireland, to account. and. That's something that I always think abortion campaigners and the authorities don't want you to do. They don't want you to bring people's attention to, for example, in Ireland, the horrific rise in the number of abortions. So what we had seen in the 10 years before the repeal of the 8th, before abortion was legalised in Ireland, was that there had been a big decline in the number of women going abroad for abortions. And that was all very tragically then reversed once abortion was legalised. You had almost double the number of abortions straight away and you had this 
horrific number figure in the first year in Ireland, 6,666 abortions the first year alone. So one of the things that we've done um, last year and then again this year is this campaign urging people to rethink abortion, given the fact that they were told abortion was going to be rare and that the actual opposite has happened. We try to contextualise it for people, you know, to make those numbers real, because as you know, Jonathan, sometimes the sheer number of babies dying, being killed by abortion is so enormous that it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it. And sometimes I think it's it's so enormous, people, you know, just kind of see it as just another statistic, not a figure, and they don't realise the gravity and the full horror of it. So what we do in these billboards is we point out that, for example, now there have been 21,000 abortions taking place so far in Ireland. And that's more than the population of Sligo. And all Irish people know that you know, Sligo is a town in the west of Ireland. In the Irish context, a medium-sized town, to simply envisage the entire population of Sligo being wiped out you know, gives people pause for thought. And you'd point out that it's the equivalent of 40 full schools simply gone. You know, children that will never sit in a classroom, will never back talk to a teacher, will never get their great results in their exams because they have never been born. And we find that by kind of contextualizing the number, do you know what I mean? By letting people see the size of your local town, this is the size of the biggest town in your county. This is the size of 40 average Irish secondary schools. You know, people are starting to take note of that. And along with that, because... I know you know this, Jonathan, because you've just been here and you've seen some of the media headlines when you were here. In common with abortion campaigners everywhere, for Irish abortion campaigners, there can never be enough abortion. You know, so even though we have this doubling of the abortion rate, even though we're seeing these horrific stories emerge about babies being misdiagnosed with serious disabilities and being aborted at, you know, 14 weeks and then their parents found out that there was actually nothing wrong with the baby at all. Even though we're seeing these like horrific outcomes, it's never enough for abortion campaigners. So they want to extend the law further to now they want the 12 week limit abolished and they want abortion on demand up to, up to six months, up to viability. They want more disability abortion and they want to scrap the three day waiting period. And the three-day waiting period, I think, is of particular interest because I remember well when the referendum was taking place in Ireland and you had politicians who were regarded, I suppose, as kind of conservative. I'm thinking in particular of people like Leo Varadkar and of people like Simon Coveney, who, you know, the media perhaps would have labelled them typically conservative and who had now wholeheartedly signed up to this change in our abortion law and to the introduction of abortion in Ireland. And they were wheeled out specifically to reassure middle ground voters, you know, to say things like, you know, I understand your concerns. I understand we don't want an increase in the abortion rate. To make promises like, look, what we want is abortion to be rare, to be legal, but rare. Again, very familiar sound bites, Jonathan, to all your listeners. Mm -hmm. But in particular, Simon Coveney was wheeled out to say to voters, look, I can guarantee you this is going to be restrictive. And he specifically mentioned that there was going to be this three-day waiting period and that the three-day waiting period would give women time for reflection. And that he even said, you know, that that time for reflection was important because there's a baby involved. It does involve, this does involve an unborn child and the unborn child's 
life. So the three-day period of reflection was, was paramount to kind of try to find that balance. And these arguments were very persuasive, you know, especially when they were combined with promises that abortion would be rare and with the threat, the threat made to Irish voters that if you didn't legalise abortion, that women would die, which was, of course, an outright lie. But, you know, in the heat of a referendum, when the media is fully behind you, it was a lie that was believed by voters. So now we're seeing, you know, the campaigners who worked cheek by cheek with these politicians saying they want the three-day waiting period scrapped. But what we are saying to voters is this, is that information of health to pro-life TDs show that about a 1,000 women a year, 800 women one year, 1,400 the next, and we don't have the figures for the third year yet, change their mind during that three-day waiting period. So women who have gone for the first initial consultation with a doctor, because abortions are mostly provided through the general practice here, through doctor surgeries here in Ireland, between 800 and 1400, so an average of 1,000, change their minds and don't uh, attend for to take the abortion medication then three days later. So this is, of course, really significant, you know, and the point we are making on billboards across the country now and we're backing it up with local newspaper ads and with a targeted leafleting campaign being carried out by the amazing pro-life volunteers around the country, is that no reasonable person, no decent person should want the abortion rate to go up by, again, almost by a fifth. You know, a thousand additional abortions every year would be an increase of 14, 16% in our abortion rate. And and surely nobody wants that, especially given the promises that were made. So I think we've talked about this, Jonathan, when you were here in Ireland, is that right now abortion campaigners, those who are pro-abortion, they feel they have all the power, you know, because they have a huge political majority. They have the media absolutely in their pockets. But you can see some curious things happening too. Like, for example, they had a march for choice in Ireland last weekend, just after you guys left. And despite like wall-to-wall media promotion for an entire week beforehand, you saw some of that, some of the articles in the newspaper, you know, using Halepanabra's face, calling on people to come out and march again, that the law was too restrictive, endless broadcast media coverage, huge print media coverage, all free publicity for this march. They actually only mustered hundreds, a crowd of hundreds, you know, and even their best allies in the Irish Times and the Irish Independent had to acknowledge this. So I think there is a sense of unease out there in Irish people, which the media is trying to suppress, but we're seeing it a lot, about this huge rise in the abortion numbers. And those same people, and we're trying to reach them to the billboards, the newspaper ads and the leaflets, will not be slow hopefully, to ring up their politicians to say, you made this promise, you made this promise that there'd be a three-way waiting period, and if you manage on that promise, we're going to see a big surge in abortions, and we're not going to allow you to let that happen. Yeah, now, I have a couple of questions about that, because, yeah, I saw that I was walking down the street in Dublin the day before we had our, our first presentation, and suddenly I saw, like, a Savita's face on a pole, and I was like, that kind of gave me a flashback to the week leading up to the referendum when her face was on probably every pole in the city. And I was like, what are they talking about her again for? And they said they had this big rally coming up. 
And one of the things that I find really insidious is that the feminists released some polling that I read in, I forget which Irish newspaper while I was there saying like, look, a, a solid majority of Irish people support expanding abortion to basically birth and basically that they have a mandate was their phrase to start doing this. At the same time, people are reacting with horror to these billboards. And I think it's fair to say, correct me if I'm wrong, that middle, you always have like hardcore pro-abortion people, hardcore pro-life people, and this wide group in the middle that can be kind of persuaded one way or another. And this is what was referred to as, as middle Ireland. And they voted to save women, not for abortions. They should have voted better based on all of the work done by the Save the Eighth campaign and Love Them Both and all these other people. They didn't have an excuse for their ignorance, but there it is. I feel like the abortion activists are now trying to do a lot of expansions sort of big because they know the Irish people doesn't want to talk about abortion. They don't want to talk about their vote. They want to be left alone. That they feel like they can just go ahead and do all of these things to expand this regime far beyond what was voted for. And people will just let them get away with it. Yeah, see, so they're being unbelievably disingenuous. And of course, you know, I mean, thank God for Gripped Media, which was established, you know, after the referendum, which at least manages to shine a light on some of their dishonesty. But the rest of the media are part of the abortion campaign here in Ireland. So they don't challenge them on the assertions that they make. So there is no polling, you know, done by any group, <laughs> anywhere, even, even before the referendum and now after it, which shows that a majority of Irish people want abortion on demand legalised up to six months. So what they do instead is they ask these kind of nebulous questions, you know, maybe saying, do you think that Irish women should not have to travel abroad for abortion? care you know something like that and most people would say yes I don't you know because people feel there's a referendum the matter is settled or whatever and that then <laughs> that's used then to say oh we, we should change the law to allow abortion on demand of the six months so if you had anything like a half decent media of course they'd be challenged on these assertions and we pointed out to them that they're just talking nonsense that their polling doesn't show that and they do similar like a slice of hand in relation to things like people praying peacefully outside abortion centers they ask in the poll, do you want to see the law change so that women are not harassed or intimidated outside when they're trying to procure an abortion? And of course, you get 85% of people saying yes to that, you know, that they don't want women harassed or intimidated, but nobody is harassing or intimidating women, you know, so then they'll use that finding then to say, oh, we want to see the law passed to lock up people who are praying the rosary silently or even standing there with a sign saying we can help outside an abortion centre. So just a remarkable dishonesty between what's actually happening and between what abortion campaigners claim is happening and how that's reported in the media. Honestly, outside of Gripped and, you know, the Irish Catholic and a few other very small platforms, I suppose, like I have to say, almost everything you read about abortion in Ireland now on, on media platforms, including the tax fund funded media tax forms, is just completely a lie. Like it's just, there's no truth to it whatsoever most of the time. So what has been the reaction to those billboards? Because they're pretty stark, the billboards, actually. And they're very simple. Just, you know, 21,000. We had similar billboards in Canada put out by one of our pro-life groups. And the only thing the billboard said was Canada has no abortion laws. And the abortion activists went nuts. And they actually got a government agency to, like, pull the ads for stating a fact, and they literally admitted that while this was factually true, people might draw the wrong conclusions, which is basically saying they might actually realize that that's not a good state of affairs and decide to do something about it. So what has been the reaction to your billboards in Ireland? Well, you know, last year, of course, because the first year they were put up around the country and very typical, I would have to say. So you have 
abortion campaigners, you know, shouting all over social media about how they're grossly misleading, about how they're grossly offensive to women, when all they say is 21,000 abortions, or as last year, 13,243 abortions, and compared to the size of population of a town. So that kind of backfired them a little bit because there was nothing untrue or unfactual or offensive on the billboards. It is a trick that they use a lot, Jonathan. And this is, I think, why pro-lifers often need to be defiant in the face of this nonsense, you know, because they've gone, for example, in Ireland to saying, and like almost without taking a breath, you know, that photographs of aborted babies were offensive. Now they say that photographs of unborn babies are offensive because they they call them graphic pictures of fetuses. <laughs> you know, this is They always push the line back further and further. So now even to say this many abortions have taken place, they're describing that as being you know, offensive or insulting or intimidating to women. Like none of these things are true, but I always feel like pro-lifers, we need to be unafraid to state the truth and to state the facts, because no matter what we say or what we do is always grossly offensive to abortion campaigners. They simply just want pro-lifers not to be allowed to speak at all. And we had last year some politicians calling for the billboards, you know, to be taken down, to be censored. We shouldn't be allowed to put up to put up billboards like this. And in fairness to the, the billboard companies, they ignored them. You know what I mean? And they took our billboards again this year. And we do expect some pushback from the local newspaper because some of them might not take the advertisements, but we expect that others will. And then we have, and this is really what it all comes down to, isn't it, Jonathan? You know, especially with the ending of the COVID lockdowns, we have people swinging back into action and going out with leaflets around the country. And I just think it's such an incredibly important thing for the movement to be active not to be reliant entirely on social media or on paid advertising or on anything that can be taken away from you. Do you know, like Facebook can stop us if they want to, like billboard companies and local newspapers can decline to publish your entirely truthful, factual advertisement if they want to. But nobody can stop volunteers going out, being a public presence, holding, being a public witness and doing things like putting leaflets in doors where people can read the truths themselves. Just before I let go of the billboard thing, those politicians who asked for it to be taken down, and for the listeners, we'll throw a photo of them up with this podcast. What was their argument for taking down a simple statement of like a number? Oh, that they're offensive to women. This is an argument for everything. And this is what I mean about they used to decry anybody showing the reality of abortion, showing abortion victim photography. Now they just decry showing an image of an unborn baby. And they tried to kind of set that in motion during the referendum, I remember, because they were saying it was so offensive to have a picture of an ultrasound and to use that during the campaign. I remember having this debate with, you know, Philip Boucher Hayes and RTE in one of the biggest current affairs programmes. And he was saying, like, why do you have to use a picture of an ultrasound? And I said, because we don't live in the dark ages. <laughs> because people should know people know what an unborn baby is and if they, and a picture of an ultrasound simply reminds them of that are we going to stop using ultrasound are we all going to pretend that these things have never been invented that we don't know what an unborn baby looks like <laughs> well it's going to, to be fair dr peter boylan doesn't know what a 12 week old baby looks like if i remember correctly <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, absolutely. And Dr. John Monin, I think, really made such a powerful point in that regard. But I do remember, you know, even a journalist who said she was going to vote for appeal, but you said, like, 
you know, who called out some of the rest of the media on this. And she was saying, yeah, this is absurd. This is absurd to pretend that showing a, a photograph of an ultrasound is offensive. And in the same way with the billboards, of course, it's an absurdity, an absolute absurdity for anyone to pretend that it's offensive to state a fact, you know, that this many abortions have taken place on a billboard. But they don't think that they actually believe it's offensive. They just want to shut you down. They want to deny pro-life as the right to actually tell people what's happening. You want complete censorship, not just over our message, but over the actual facts, you know? I remember it was extraordinary because they were saying it was misleading. I remember Social Democrat TD Holly Cairns here in Ireland, she was calling on the Minister of Health to bring in new laws to stop these billboards because there was nothing to stop groups like us putting up these ads. Good grief. You know, she said that they were a deliberate tactic. She compared them to grotesque protests. And yeah, I said that maybe this legislation, which would lock up people for praying outside abortion centres, could also, there could be something included in that, which would ensure these billboards could not be booked or could not be put up. And of course, you have all the media then taking her comments, ignoring the actual billboards, and then taking her comments and reporting her comments. So I suppose... That might backfire on them and that people actually saw the billboards for themselves, you know. But <laughs> there, is, there is no end to their drive to censor everybody who disagrees with them. There is no limit to their intolerance. I think we always need to be aware of that. So one of the things I really wanted to chat with you about is, so listeners of the podcast will have heard you and I discuss in the past what happened with the Eighth Amendment, you know, all the different deceits that took place, the way the pro-life message was suppressed. Those who are interested in hearing that full conversation go back. You and I talked about it for like an hour and a half or two hours on one of our one of our really long podcasts. But this year, finally, after COVID delaying it multiple times, we got to come out and do a tour with Life Institute and a whole bunch of other pro-life speakers. We got to talk about my book, Patriots, The Untold Story of Ireland's Pro-Life Movement. We got to show Tim Jackson's phenomenal documentary, Ireland's Fall. And then you spoke and Megan Scallon of Life Institute spoke and Ben Scallon of Gripped spoke and then a whole lineup of other speakers, Vicky Wall of Every Life Counts, Mickey Hart. It was so encouraging to go out and we did four major presentations starting in Dublin at the Savoy and hundreds of people came out and a lot of them said like it was a reminder that it's time to get back into it because first you had the referendum which of course is devastating for everybody and then you have COVID where nobody's allowed to leave their house for a couple of years and now it's kind of like all of these things are happening and the pro-life movement almost has to find its footing again. So explain to the listeners, like, where are you guys at? How did you feel about the people who showed up and their willingness to get engaged? What are your thoughts? Well, I, can I say firstly that you were a very large part in inspiring people over the renewal tour and creating that sense of renewal, of recommitment. And it was amazing, as you said, to see it, you know, to see hundreds of people turn up the fire back in their bellies, you know, that way, like willing to take the leaflets and go forth yet again to defend unborn babies, you know, and to, to demand a better answer for women than abortion. And you are tremendous, Jonathan. So for anyone who hasn't seen your speech from the renewal tour, I thought it was so profound. And you pointed out that when the Eighth Amendment was first put into Ireland's constitution, when we first adopted this incredible pro-life law, which saved so many babies' lives. Then Roe v. Wade was legalizing abortion in America. And now we had lost the eighth, but they had lost Roe v. Wade, you know. <laughs> so that, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the pendulum swings both ways and the culture can change. And that cultural change is driven by those who care the most. I know so many people said to me that you gave them hope back. 
you explained to them that it wasn't just the state, like it was other countries too were seeing yeah. the rise of the pro-life movement, sometimes in defiance of attempts to legalise abortion. And then also the pro-life movement getting new life, getting new victories, getting new laws after maybe decades fighting, fighting the good fight. And I think the renewal tour did what it said in the tin. I think it renewed hope for people and it renewed their desire to go out and do what needs to be done. And I think that's extraordinarily important for the movement, you know, because unlike a lot of, say, the pro movement, I think, isn't really a political movement. A lot of political movements are aiming to ensure improvements in people's lives. And those who are seeking those improvements are involved in the movement. So if you're looking for a change in the law in relation to how a country taxes or benefits for people or something like that, you can understand why people join in with such fervour. And then I suppose when the cause is achieved or lost, that they leave. And the pro movement, I think, is a very special movement because everybody involved gets nothing from this. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody who involved in doing this for a child that they probably will never meet and they didn't get any thanks from the 250,000 babies whose lives they had saved you know yeah they were rejected by probably most of them in the referendum but they do it because they believe so so strongly that every single child has a right to life and every single child should be spared nobody you know should get the death that abortion meets out on a helpless child and they're amazing people but they were devastated after the repeal of the 8th. And I think the renewal tour was brilliant because it did give people back that hope and that defiance that we were talking about. Now, COVID didn't shut down things entirely here. It was very difficult to do large-scale campaigns, but there was a lot of local demonstrations and witnesses and, I suppose, minor campaigns happening during those two years, facilitated often by the Life Institute. It was a very successful campaign, actually, against euthanasia, ran on social media, but, but also with some local activity, which managed to get a bill that looked like it was going to pass, halted. And then you had, like, a lot of local rallies, and taking place in regard to when the number, the first horrific numbers came, came out, 6,666. And then when we ran our billboards and first started running our Rethink Abortion campaigns last year. But this year was the first rally since 2019, for example. So our rally is like, like the March for Life. And it was tremendous. It was tremendous. Huge crowd. Thousands of people filled up the whole main thoroughfare, O'Connell Street, one of the longest streets in Europe, in Dublin. Absolutely packed it out. And it was brilliant. It was brilliant. See, like, we haven't gone away. We were back with a bang. <laughs> and I think you saw some of that energy in the renewal tour as well, because it's great to get everybody back in for a rally, but then you have to get people back to the, if you like, the grind of the movement, you know what I mean? Which is the hard work of putting leaflets indoors, the hard work of having conversations, of organising things on campus, of getting young people more involved and motivated and trained, everything like that. On the renewal tour, one of the speakers, as you mentioned there, you know, Megan Scallon, like she's one of a group of young people who are determined to take her generation by the scruff of the neck, you know, to bring the message to them, like, because they were wholly and absolutely taken over by by this message that women need abortion and that abortion is, is necessary for women to achieve their potential or to be entirely free. And she's got a great team gathered around her now. They're looking to draw in other young people to train them, motivate them and get them out there into the public square to speak to as many of their peers as they possibly can. And she is saying what they want to do is to reclaim the narrative, you know, this false narrative that women are made safer or that their lives are bettered by abortion to show that that's absolutely untrue.
No, it's really interesting when you say those 250,000 people that were saved by the Eighth Amendment and all the hard work put in by the pro-life movement could never thank anyone. And it was really cool for me on the tour because I got to meet a lot of my heroes from the Irish movement who I've written about. I've read their speeches from 30 years ago, but I'd never met them. So I got to meet John O'Reilly and Bernadette Bonner and Dr. Peter Quinn and all these people in all these different places where I wouldn't recognize their faces. And often, of course, many of them are much, much older than the photographs I saw of them but as soon as they said their names i knew exactly who they were and i'd read stuff they said before i was born it was really cool one of the things that really struck me is that the reason it's so important for us to talk about all of the children that were saved is because the abortion movement has a face right they are going to use the tragedy of savita as long as they possibly can you saw them using her face once again these past weeks to try and to get abortion legalized even further and so to talk about that 250,000 people who may be faceless, but just to say, in a country as small as Ireland, 250,000 people who got married, who had their own kids, you know, who maybe went on to do any number of different things. When you're walking through a busy crowd and you look around, there are people that are there because of the work of the pro-life movement. And just to say that the story of the pro-life movement isn't the story of winning and then losing. It's the story of saving these lives. And then this obviously devastating setback of losing the Eighth Amendment, but losing the Eighth Amendment doesn't mean that those 250,000 were lost. They were still saved. They were, and the achievement is incredible. And I think that was an important part of the renewal tour as well. You know, we showed Tim Jackson's extraordinary documentary, which went through the referendum and went through like the lies that were told, the involvement of big tech in suppressing the pro-life message, the involvement of the media like when you looked back at it I could see people had tears in their eyes you know that way watching the documentary at how duplicitous I suppose the media were and how the Irish people were so horribly deceived but the documentary finishes on this wonderful inspiring note you know that what's Tim's amazing line in it that who does the future belong to do you know those of us who love and welcome all our children as a gift or those of us who abort our, our babies, you know, and it's a very profound moment, I think, at each of the meetings when the documentary finished on that wonderful note and you could see people, their hope and their defiance kind of overcame their sadness they felt at watching some parts of it. It was brilliant to watch their faces, I think, and, and see them, see that kind of reckoning come for them, you know, and, you know, John, the first night we showed it was in the, in the Savoy Cinema, which is where all Irish movies are premiered in this huge screen and it was brilliant, but See the documentary being shown on the huge screen. And a lot of people are saying that the national broadcaster who broadcast a really pro-abortion documentary about the referendum should be obliged to show to show this one too. Like it's really well made. And I think your speech did that for people too. It reminded them of what they had achieved. You know, and sometimes you were talking to people in the room who were perhaps, you know, just involved in the in the referendum in 2018, who came to the movement then or in the couple of years before it. But there were some people who there who were part of the original campaign to have gays inserted into the the referendum. But for all of those people, like you were saying to them, you know, know this, like be proud of this, be proud of your achievement. There's so, so many babies were saved by what you had done, by the Eighth Amendment and by your work to ensure the Eighth Amendment remained in place, you know, for 30 odd years after it was inserted in 1983. I think people deserve that. You know, the, the, pro, the people who fought so hard deserve to know that, that even if the country voted the wrong way, it doesn't diminish what they achieved. It doesn't diminish the extraordinary fact that they saved so many lives. 
Well, isn't it so telling that the number 250,000 is so special for the Irish pro-lifers? And to hear it again was so encouraging. But you put the number 21,000 on a billboard and the abortion movement's like, take it down, take it down. Like, we can be proud of babies that were saved by the pro-life movement in Canada. You know, every time we find out about a new one, we're just, like, so thrilled and overjoyed and grateful. And to be reminded of, like, if your track record's 250,000, it's just like, you know, there was people coming up in tears afterwards, too, and said, we needed to be reminded of that. And the abortion movement, on the other hand, desperately does not want to be reminded of the fact that their preferred policy, what they campaigned for for 35 years, has resulted in 21,000. They don't want to hear their number, and we do want to hear ours. I think that's... very significant. Well, yeah, well, I mean, it comes down to this, doesn't it? That, you know, we're proud of the fact that we saved 250,000 babies and somewhere in their hearts, even the most avowed abortion campaigner doesn't want people to know that 21,000 babies are dead because of what they did. That's what it really comes down to. They want all the discussion around abortion to be about things like abortion is health care and something about a woman's choice. And, you know, they never want people to look either at the reality of abortion or even at the number of babies that are dying. That's why it's our job, Jonathan. It's the job of the pro-life movement, not just to keep the path lit, but to shine a light on that reality in every way that we possibly can. It's telling, isn't it, that they know in their hearts that Irish people don't see abortion as a good thing. They know that almost no one, unless you're an actual psychopath, thinks that abortion is is a good thing. There were reports of some groups here like tweeting that the numbers of abortion were caused for celebration and it got a very, very poor response from Irish people. Like I said, unless there's something wrong with you. Abortion should never be celebrated. I think most people understand that. And and that's why those who want abortion kept legal or even to want to expand the law to have even more abortions, they want us to go away. They want us never to offer women a better option than abortion. They want to close down the crisis pregnancy centres. They want to take away the three-day waiting periods so there'll be even more abortions. So So that in people's minds, it will become something that nobody ever discusses anymore. And they never, ever, ever want us to talk about the baby, to talk about the number of lives lost, or to talk about all the other horrific realities of abortion. And that should be our daily reason for continuing. I always think that when you look at your opponents, it's like, find out what they don't want to talk about and then talk about that thing ceaselessly. It's so true what you say when you say the Irish people responded badly to the celebration. In the last 10 years, I can remember three different points where here in North America, they tried to launch these shout your abortion movements, right? These movements, you know, where everybody put on a, one of them had like Gloria Stein in with a t-shirt, like I had an abortion. This was going to be this like defiant thing. None of them ever took off. You'd have a handful of celebrities who would wear them and a whole bunch of media coverage and then it would die because nobody wants to put on a t-shirt that says that and there is this sort of instinctive recognition that abortion is incredibly serious and incredibly tragic that I think needs to be tapped into. Like their side of the issue has a face. In Ireland, it's Savita. It's different people depending on where you go. And our side needs a face as well. And that face, those faces are of the children, which is why they respond so horribly to it whenever you try in any way to humanize the children that are dying through abortion. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you guys have an amazing new video out. We were watching it yesterday. I saw a lot of people sharing it, which I think focuses on the victim. And the strange thing is we are told, especially by progressive everywhere, and a lot of the time this is correct, of course, that, you know, victims and crimes should have a face. You know, that way that, that's, that's why you've got victim impact statements in courts. That's why, you know, people are encouraged not to be afraid to speak out, to explain the effect of, that a crime had on them. Yet they want us to pretend that, these babies never existed and that these babies don't have a face and that these babies' lives aren't important and that very often that their that their death was horrific, you know? And here in Ireland, we have the HSE, the Health Service Executive, on their website advising Irish women that after they have a medical abortion, if they take abortion pills, that they can flush their baby's body down the toilet. And there's something so disturbing about that. Like what you said in your talk, where are those 21,000 bodies now? Mm-hmm. You know, where are they? Flushed on the toilet? Are, are, are they just in part of the sewage system? Have they been carried out to sea? 21,000 of them lost like that is absolutely horrific. And right now, I wrote a piece for Gripped yesterday saying that abortion campaigners here use the feet to help an average face. And the woman has tragically died. They never asked permission. They never asked her permission to call for the abortion laws to be expanded to six months on demand. They have no idea whether she would or she would not have supported that. Her husband, Praveen Halapanavar, a year after her death, said he didn't want her used for one side or the other of the campaign. He said he was, he was looking to find for justice and to find out what happened. And he was entirely right to demand that. The inquiry showed that she died from medical negligence. They didn't realise she had sex because they weren't monitoring her properly. And yet, like, you know, you have abortion campaigners, like, so, it's so exploitative. It's so callous, I think, using her face year after year to call for more and more extreme abortion laws. And they have no idea whether she would or she would not have supported their campaigns. They have no qualms about using tragedies to further their campaigns. Mm-hmm. Yet they will say to pro-lifers, not only are you not allowed to use a photograph that shows the horrific reality of abortion, now you're not even allowed to show the reality of a living and growing human being. I think all was pushed back against this attempt to endlessly censor the message and to try to prevent us from showing the reality of abortion. So final question, just because I know we have, I found this out when I was in Ireland, quite a lot of Irish listeners, is where can you direct people to get involved with the Life Institute, with Megan's Renewal Project, with all the things that are going on right now in Ireland to start rebuilding the culture? How can people find you and the various organizations who are part of that? So brilliant. And everybody is welcome to this campaign. If you want to find out more, you can go to thelifeinstitute.net and that's the website. You'll see the, all the different Rethink Abortion campaigns, the Time to Think campaigns, all the rest of them there, Rally for Life, everything like that is run from that website. You can also find Life Institute on Facebook and on Twitter and on Insta and all the normal social, <laughs> social media platforms. And um, Rally for Life also has its own Facebook page and Twitter and Insta and the rest. Um, and gripped.ie, that's G-R-I-P-T dot I-E, is a great new news platform, which is shaking things up a lot in Ireland and holding the establishment and those who need to be held to account, they're holding them to account. So lots of ways for people to find out what's going on and to catch up. And we're always interested in hearing from people. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share all this with us. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you so much for coming. It was a joy to have yourself and Charmaine and the little darling Baba with us on the roadshow.
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Nevi Brain of the Life Institute in Ireland. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you want to check out past shows or subscribe to get future shows delivered to you, head over to lifesightnews.com. Click on the podcast tab. You'll find our show there. You can get our content wherever you download your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.